Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorha, and welcome to another episode of Rice for Breakfast, a podcast about Asian Americans in pop culture. We have received one new review on iTunes. This is from Tiffany Stone, and Tiffany says, We often hear about success, but never the journey, and this is especially true for Asian Americans. This podcast not only introduces the listener to Asian Americans who have contributed to pop culture, but also reveals their hard work, perseverance, and family influence. The stories are entertaining and surprisingly relatable and inspiring. So thank you, Tiffany. Uh, I, I appreciate the review. Again, if you take the time to review on iTunes and write a little note there, I will read it on the podcast. So thanks to everyone who has done that so far. Rather than go into pop culture news this week, I just wanted to remind everyone to please, 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 please uh, go out and vote for the midterm elections that are coming up in a couple weeks. Um, Asian Americans actually have the lowest voter turnout of any racial group in the country, and uh, Asian American millennials have the lowest turnout within that group as well. Needless to say, we are in the middle of an important election cycle right now here in the United States, so um, please, please make sure you take the time to go to the polls or send in your mail-in ballots as every single vote counts. This week's guest is award-winning writer, actor, filmmaker, storyteller, and cultural producer Naomi Ko. Naomi's independent TV pilot, Nice, is an official selection for the 2018 Tribeca Film Festival in the indie episodic category. Uh, she created, wrote, and stars in the half-hour series pilot about a girl named Teddy Park, a 20-something Korean-American living in Minnesota who must deal with the consequences of keeping her breast cancer a secret from her family. Um, in addition to her pilot, Naomi does a ton of amazing work for Asian Americans in her home state of Minnesota, including founding the Asian Pacific Islander American, APIA, Minnesotan Film Collective, which is the first-time initiative to create space and opportunities for the APIA filmmaking community in the Twin Cities. Naomi sit down and talk about why Minnesotans are so nice, racism in musical theater, the importance of Sandra Oh and her portrayal of Dr. Christina Yang on Grey's Anatomy, her homoerotic Harry Potter fanfic that she actually performed on Netflix's show Mortified, her classes and strategy for fighting microaggression, and much, much more. It's another great episode, and I hope you enjoy it. You can follow me on Twitter at, at @ricebreakfast. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash riceforbreakfastpod. And you can go to riceforbreakfast.com for more ways to listen. So thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, eat your rice for breakfast. Naomi, how's it going? It's going great. How are you doing, Ian? Very, very good. Um, I know you're from Minnesota originally. And you just said, before you started recording, you split time between LA and Minnesota. Are, are you in Minnesota right now? No, I'm in Los Angeles at the moment. Okay, nice. Uh, so you're avoiding the future uh, cold winter that is Minnesota? You know, actually, I really enjoy the cold winter. I don't do well in heat, so it's always nice to go back and be like, ah, oh, natural, natural air conditioning. <laughs> That's good. Um, so I found you, first of all, because I think I was reading about the Tribeca Film Festival, and you have a selection there for your independent pilot called NICE. Um, which you wrote and star in and, and you created as well. Uh, it's a half hour pilot about a character, a girl named Teddy Park, correct? And what's the rest of the synopsis uh, for Nice? Yeah, so Teddy Park is this, uh, you know, mid 20 something Korean American girl 
who lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and she finds out that she has breast cancer for the second time. So the show really deals with the consequences of Teddy keeping her breast cancer diagnosis a secret from her friends and family and the kind of impact of of what keeping a secret like that does to all of your relationships. Uh, that's great. And so you've been kind of doing these festival circuit a little bit, right? You, you, like I said, you were in Tribeca and then you kind of looked like you're doing New Orleans Film Festival as well? Yep. Well, that is this weekend, actually, on October 20th, Saturday, October 20th. We're going to be heading out to New Orleans. Um, Carolyn Moe, my producer, and I. And then we're going to be going to San Diego Asian Pacific um, Film Festival in November and screening it over there, too. That's awesome. And th- is this your first... Uh film festival uh, circuit or have you been doing it for other projects as well? Um, I first did my first film festival was back in 2014. Um, I had a very small role in a movie called Dear White People um, that competed at Sundance. So um, that was actually my first foray into everything entertainment related. Um, So it was it was actually pretty kind of crazy that my first film my first ever on-screen role was Dear White People. So the first festival I ever got to go to was Sundance Film Festival, which is, <laughs> which top, was kind of crazy to go there. Yeah, to, to be at the top tier film festival and, and to be part of like the hottest film there. So it was like, everything was just kind of like, wow, is this what my career really is going to be like? No, absolutely <laughs> not. But <laughs> hopefully... Well, it's great. I mean, not well, too. Hopefully, we can we can get back to that height. <laughs> right. Well, not so great. I mean, not too long after you started doing on your own project too, which is awesome. Um, so, you said on your on your bio for your website, konaomi.com, uh, for those who are curious. So it looked like you were going to the University of Minnesota. You had graduated with a doctor degree in, or you're planning on getting a doctor degree in Islamic art and architecture. Um, and so, what drew your interest uh, in those two fields? Let me let me let me let me phrase it in a way that doesn't like reveal my whole life story. But um, I was I always did theater and musical theater when I was in high school and kind of, you know, being an Asian-American kid growing up in Minnesota, which is pretty white, you know, not just the snow outside, but the people (laughs) around me. um, I got I got kind of disillusioned um, by by just the lack of opportunities and and just the inaccessibility to to the arts. So in college, I was just like, I'm going to be an academic. Like I'm I'm smart. I'm a super nerd. I like reading and writing. And 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 so in college, I in my undergrad, I was really kind of following this this you know goal to become an academic to you know apply for PhD programs. I'm going to be like I'm I'm going to I'm going to be a scholar and it's going to be great. And then after I graduated from undergrad, I realized wow, I'm super burned out from, from college, from doing all of this. I'm just going to take a year off and then, and then see, see if this is the right path for me. Well, I went back to theater after that and, and I never, never went to grad school. So that's that's that. (laughs) Uh, When did you start doing uh, theater stuff? When I was in elementary school, when I was, um, my like first big role was in fifth grade in a Chris in in a Christmas story. I was the ghost of Christmas future. Uh, and so did you continue doing theater stuff? You said like in in high school and, and middle school. Um, do you have any favorite plays you liked uh, you participated in or musicals you listened to or or plays you read that 
you stand out to you years later? Yeah, there was. Um, I always loved Wicked growing okay. up. Like I was, I was, I think in middle school when like Wicked came out and it was right. that whole huge phase. But the reason why I loved it so much is because Alphabo had green skin. So, so I knew that because like when you when you do high school plays and theater, you you and musicals is just like it's Les Mis or it's um, <laughs> right or it's Annie and it's it's all these things where it's just like it's you know Les Mis is super white or Phantom of the Opera even whiter like even right. though they're both in France but like still very white and and so the idea that like Wicked was so appealing to me was because like she had green skin and I was just like well it doesn't matter if she's white like because she's green right. so if if we were ever to do this musical I could have a shot at playing her even though I I cannot sing those high notes like <laughs> i would have not gotten cast for a different reason right but the the actual idea that like oh this could be a possibility was because you know she she's green <laughs> that's you, that, that's kind of funny because uh i think the musical community and the theater community obviously is very uh progressive um but it hasn't i feel like it hasn't gotten the same sort of uh I don't want to use the word heat, but it hasn't gotten the same pressure for diverse casting um, as obviously film and television has. Uh, And it kind of seems like the fact that musicals are sort of written that way in high school kind of pulled you away from it when you went to college. Um, Mm -hmm. Did you have like thoughts about that in high school uh, and thoughts about it like now? Yeah. In high school, you know, I was, I was just so frustrated because it was, I just I always felt like, oh, maybe I'm not getting casted because I'm not talented enough. I'm not I'm not getting casted. I'm not getting these roles because I'm not good enough to do it. But I mean, now I have a pilot in Tribeca, so I feel like, no, I think the talent <laughs> was always there. <laughs> no, no, seriously, I, yeah, yeah. I think the talent was always there. But but for me, when I was younger, I really kind of took it to heart thinking that maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not trained well enough. Maybe, maybe I'm not. But then I think really was in college when I was just realized this is unsustainable. It's, you know, this industry is so racist and, and, you know, growing up in Minnesota and being a part of the Minnesota arts community, Minnesota has a very huge theater community. I mean, I think we even have more theaters per capita than New York city does. Wow. So for, yeah, I'm going to drop some great Minnesota knowledge throughout this whole hour. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty excited about it. I'm pretty excited, but like, but, and and for me, I, I feel like theater does have a really bad reputation. I mean, it's, it's a little different. Maybe people don't feel like it because there's um, theaters of color, like mm-hmm. theater of, uh, theaters of color companies. Sure. Like, um, you know, East West Players, uh, Theater Moo. Um, so you feel like, oh, there is, there's an opportunity for it but really if you think about it no it's just like i look at the you know in college and even now i still think it's not like if you look at the plays that are on broadway if you look at what's off broadway or the west end like seriously asian americans woohoo everyone gets cast in miss saigon Saigon again (laughs) exactly or or the king and i which i mean i think it's great and but but it's just like all right product of the time yeah, I, I'm. I mean, there are a couple outliers. I think Mean Girls is an outlier because they casted an Asian American for the role of Gretchen Wiener. 
um, which is great. Um, and then um, Philippa Sue and, of course, Hamilton. Like, I think those are, like, really the kind of two outliers. But if you think about it, like, diversity in theater isn't that great either. Uh, when you get outside of the specific theater of color programs and, and companies. We've been talking now. You said you're going to drop knowledge about Minnesota. Um, where... So it says your parents immigrated from South Korea, correct? Yes. And uh, did they go straight to Minnesota? My father did. He, um, my father, uh, his, my aunt, his eldest sister married an American soldier after the Korean War. um, And, or maybe like 10 years after the Korean War makes it sound like she's a super war bride. But now that I'm thinking about the time of, mine well okay whatever who gives a shit about that <laughs> right. um so so we my my aunt my dad's older sister married an american soldier and he's from minnesota so when my dad was just like hey i'm about to immigrate to the united states where am i gonna go okay minnesota and and so he he immigrated to minnesota um and he like he was in the u.s army for a while but really he after that he came back to minnesota and when he brought my mom from south korea they settled in minnesota so i've been in minnesota for all my life and my parents have been there for probably over like 30 35 years now wow that is uh that's funny did they have any any particular reason for minnesota you know i think for for minnesota um my parents, like, I was always curious because now that I spend time in Los Angeles, like, oh, why would you choose Minnesota <laughs> when there's, you know, Korean American communities in Los Angeles or Chicago, right. New York, Flushings, whatever. But um, it's because uh, it's it's a really good it's a really good public school state. Uh, Minnesota is a it's a it's a actually really good welfare state. So we have a lot of refugees from Somalia, um, from Laos, uh, from Thailand. Um, who are Hmong Vietnamese from the secret war and Vietnam war in the seventies and then the Somali um, civil war crisis. So Minnesota has always been this kind of really great, like welfare, welfare state, really great um, state for um, public, just public goods and public service. And then also just all the fortune 500s that are based in Minnesota, like target 3M Best Buy, they're all Minnesotan companies. So, so for my parents, it just really seemed like, Oh, where can, where can we build a good life for our family where can we, where can our kids have a, have a shot and, and have, you know, have a good upbringing. So basically yeah. they're like, yeah, Minnesota, it's great. Even though it's cold, we're just going <laughs> to, we're just going to do it. That is, you know, something uh, from people I've met from the Midwest. Uh, I, they never, ever, ever have anything bad to say about, you know, being there other than the snow. Uh, that's a common theme. I think people who live in, uh, you know, folks I know who grew up in the Bay Area or Seattle, there's always something like that bothers them kind of like as a group of people, they'll always say like in Seattle, there's this thing called the Seattle freeze where uh, people who aren't from Seattle, typically uh, people who are from Seattle, like kind of stay in close groups or whatever. And uh, the, you know, the stereotype is that they're not very friendly to people not from Seattle. Uh, But whenever I talk to people from the Midwest, there's never sort of a negative energy coming from them. I think that's a good theme uh, from, from people I've met with their friends or talking to people like you as well. Oh, Ian, 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 where do you guys think you guys got a Seattle freeze from? You got it from Minnesota Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a thing, Minnesota Nice? It's a huge thing. Um, So actually, like, 
fun fact because you're from Seattle. Um, so there's a lot of transplants from the Midwest who went to, you know, Seattle and right. to the Pacific Northwest. And really like that came from the Minnesota nice culture because Minnesotans are really polite to people, but we don't invite you to our homes and we don't want to be your friend. We just want to <laughs> hold the door open for you and say, hi, how are you doing? Sure. <laughs> yeah. That is, uh, that's pretty funny. I did not, I've never heard that, but that it does make sense. People for, I meet again, all very friendly. Um, and so we kind of talked about this a little bit before. So, uh, what was it like growing up, uh, as a Korean American in Minnesota? What, what part of Minnesota specifically, actually, I just keep saying the state as a huge generalization. Yeah. So I grew up in the twin cities, um, Minneapolis, St. Paul, a suburb from St. Paul called Rosemont, Minnesota. Um, and it was a, it's, you know, we call it's the self-proclaimed Irish Catholic um, city of Minnesota in, in, a, in a sea of Scandinavians and Lutherans. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, it, it, to, to be honest, it was actually like, I, I really loved growing up in Rosemount. I really loved growing up in Minnesota. Um, I thought, you know, you know, there were times where I was just like, wow it really sucks to be an Asian American, to be a Korean American in Minnesota. It really sucks to be kind of that other, but at times I, I really loved growing up, growing up there. Um, I love, I just, I love kind of like waking up and, and going to school, even though I had to like trudge through like feet of snow, but that was, that was <laughs> just something that I, I got used to. And, and I mean, it, it's hard to say, but, it, it's home. It, it always feels like home. It, it always will feel like home to me. That's great. Um, is there a big Korean, uh, Korean American or Korean immigrant community in, uh, Minnesota or in the Twin Cities area? No, there's a huge Southeast Asian population. So I did grow up with, um, Vietnamese, Hmong, Lao, Thai Americans. And then, um, but in terms of Korean, no, a Korean adoptees, there's a lot of Korean adoptees, but um, we, I didn't necessarily did not have much interaction with Korean adoptees um, because we're, we were, they were, Korean adoptees are just so scattered throughout the metro area and in the whole state mm-hmm. of Minnesota, really. Um, but in terms of like Korean Americans like myself, um, no, not really. Got it. Uh, and did you notice that sort of when you were growing up or was it sort of something that, and did it, uh, did it kind of factor into how you, did you ever ask your parents about it or do you, um, kind of affect the way you're socializing or anything like that? I mean, I think the biggest thing that I, I talked about with my parents is that with the, there, even though there isn't a very large Korean American population in Minnesota, but just the nature of Korean Americans in general, there were like five Korean American churches. And I don't know if you know anything about Korean Americans and mm-hmm. in, in their church life, but they're, they're big on it. And the fact serious, that we right? can't yeah. usually, yeah, we can't get along with each other very well <laughs> is another <laughs> thing. But I mean, so there are, there are all these like small Korean American church communities, but we were never a part of that because, um, you know, my father always, proudly says that real Koreans don't believe in Jesus because <laughs> Jesus wasn't Korean. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and, and, and the fact that my, my older sister and I, we were competitive swimmers. So we would be at swim meets every weekend growing up. So we never went to church. So I think like for me, the, my, my thing was, was that um, we, we never really hung out with other Korean Americans because 
we didn't we didn't have that church facet of our lives and then we didn't have um um you know we were we were a busy family doing extracurriculars and stuff like that so and I mean, I wasn't going to be like, hey, mom and dad, can we go to church? Because I didn't want to do that. I didn't want <laughs> right. to wake up in the morning. Right. <laughs> of course, that's like the complete but, opposite of what most kids want. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm starved for community, but I'm not that starved for community. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously, now, you know, you're about to break out in the film industry. When you were in high school or even younger, I guess, or college, were there like movies or shows that influenced you and kind of maybe gave you the slight inkling that you wanted to be able to tell stories on film as well or um did that come later well i knew that it it really kind of changed when gray's anatomy came on air um i was in high school i think i was a sophomore or freshman in high school when gray's anatomy came came on tv and i saw sandra oh and it was crazy because it was just like it was not only a, a fellow you know, Korean Canadian, which to me was just like, basically I'm like from Canada anyway. Canada, right. Minnesota. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So I was like, so like to see like a felt like to see her and then also just see someone who kind of really, we kind of really look alike. It's kind of crazy. You, you know, what's funny <laughs> in your, in on your Instagram, you had a picture of uh, her and I can't remember who else. Um, Justin, is that Justin Trudeau? I'm looking at your Instagram. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, and for yes, a second, uh, yep. for a second, I'm like, oh, that's cool. She met Justin Trudeau, and then I clicked. I was like, that is not <laughs> Naomi. So yes, I actually agree with you. <laughs> that was the game changer to see Sandra Oh, really, because you know, um, growing up um, in Minnesota, like so, so obviously not a lot of access to Asian American representation, except for like maybe Harold and Kumar, and sure. I mean everything John Cho related, which. I, I of course enjoyed sure. um, but but and then also like watching Korean dramas Taiwanese dramas um, um, Japanese dramas like watching that was really kind of what I saw too but I felt so disconnected from that not necessarily because of the language of the culture but because of the way that I looked and the way that you know Korean Korean actors from Korea look and how they're portrayed on screen to so to see someone like Sandra Oh who didn't get plastic surgery who mm -hmm. had like curly hair like mine and 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 to speak you know with this sort of like i guess northern twang um was <laughs> was just that was revolutionary for me i was like wow it's like this woman is second build on an abc primetime show i obviously didn't think of like that but i was like this person sure. is huge she has a huge role she's like the show is like half about her. Like, this is amazing. Her being Asian isn't really a part of the plot. Um, did you kind of notice that? And I think that's great. Uh, did, you, did you notice that when you were watching it when you were in high school? In my quest of trying to discover or like to continue my Asian American identity, I, I watched like All American Girl, like episodes from All American Girl. And that one was so much about like, how am I Korean or am I American? And, and, like I had, I was super lucky. I had a really great English teacher, AP English teacher in high school. And she made us read like Maxine Hong Kingston and, and, and like women warrior and like China men. And, and, and so when I was reading Asian American lit, like at the same time while watching Sandra, Oh, that again, like Maxine Hong Kingston is all about like, am I Chinese or am I American? Like I feel the push and pull between two cultures. And that was something that was incredibly frustrating for me because I'm like, 
I mean, not to, not to um, simplify or, or to pass judgment, but I was just like, I am okay. I am passing judgment. I'm like, bitch, you haven't figured out if you're Chinese or American. You're both. Like, <laughs> how do you not know that? Like, right. <laughs> like you're 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 a product of two cultures. And for me to see Sandra, um, you know, at times have her um, her character Christina Yang's Asian Korean upbringing, you know, brought up, you know, a little bit, but wasn't the focal point. That was something that I was just like, this is this is great. Like this is this is something that I feel more connected to because, you know, I, I didn't necessarily feel like that identity crisis that so many different shows and movies were talking about um, applied to my life. Were there any other like movies or anything like that, that um, sort of affected you the same way that uh, Christina Yang's character did? I mean, I think Carol and Kumar was probably the next thing because I just watched it and I realized how uncool I was. <laughs> for 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 the fact that like Carolyn Kumar, you know, like two Asian Americans there. And even though they they seemed like super smart and put together, they still had fun. And I was just like, I feel like I'm smart and can apply myself well, but why am I always at home like watching TV <laughs> and eating chips? Like I should be cooler like Harold and Kumar. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. I mean, and uh that's pretty good. Um, did you have lifestyle changes as a result of watching it or was it just internal, uh, monologue and, uh, suggestions to yourself? Yeah, I was just like, you know, I thought like after watching American Pie and Harold and Kumar when I was younger, like in high school, I was just like, maybe I should try like drinking and smoking weed. Like, <laughs> you know, this Korean dude and this Korean American dude and this Indian American dude are doing it. And they seem like they, you know, are having the time of their lives. And, <laughs> and then I totally chickened out. I totally chickened out. <laughs> That's good. Um, something you didn't chicken out on and something that I believe you did in high school that maybe inspired your uh, creative side a little bit is uh, we talk about this a little bit off uh, recording as well as that you wrote a homoerotic fan fiction uh, of our dear friends, Harry Potter uh, and, and Draco Malfoy and has since performed it on uh, Netflix for the show Mortified. And I believe you've done it live a couple of times as well. Um, so for to help explain this story to people who have no idea what I just said, uh, do you mind talking about what Mortified is and what your little fanfic was about? Yeah, um, Mortified is this live storytelling show that has had like a like a documentary TV series about and then also a documentary movie about, um, which is a, a live storytelling show about adults who read the embarrassing shit that they wrote when they were younger. So that could be like diary entries, love letters, or in my case, fan fiction, um, which is, you know, fan fiction is just recreating different scenarios with a pre-existing world um which is <laughs> what i did with harry potter and when i was younger i really wanted to i read a lot of fan fiction and i really wanted to be fanfic famous <laughs> but nobody was reading my story so i did kind of like a backwards investigation of like how do you become like super famous on a fan fiction site and i'm like oh you have to write homoerotic fanfic about harry and draco i'm like no problem we'll do it <laughs> and so i wrote this um like fanfic about a love triangle between harry potter draco malfoy and ron weasley and yeah it's on netflix <laughs> and uh yeah and again i had 
watched the episode of Netflix before I reached out to you. Didn't realize it was actually you uh, until I started like digging around your page a bit again. But for those who haven't seen it uh, or or heard it, I highly highly recommend it. Um, as it, it takes a particularly brave soul to go up on stage and in this case on uh, television <laughs> to, to read your story that you read there. It's, it's, it's pretty funny there. You go to college at the University of uh, Minnesota. We talked earlier, you majored in sort of pursued a degree in Islamic art and architecture. Um, and you were going to go get your doctorate. You didn't get it, but you pursued theater instead. So what inspired you to get back uh, in, into theater? I think I came across like this ad um, on Facebook or this flyer for, you know, actors training opportunity or like acting and writing training opportunity, workshop opportunity with Mu Performing Arts. Um, Rick Shiomi um, was hosting this. And I was just like, you know what? This sounds like a lot of fun. So I I just signed up and, and went, went into it. Um, not really knowing a lot of people and just going, hey, guys, and and had a lot of fun, you know, having my my writing and workshopped and and from there on, it just went kind of downhill, uh, <laughs> um, just auditioned more, wrote more <laughs> and, and found myself like, yeah, this is this is actually what I really want to do. This is this is what I want to keep pursuing. That's right. And so did you write in college as well? Well, I was writing a lot of fiction back then. Um, so, you know, that's kind of kind of what I did. I, you know, from obviously my awesome fanfic. And then also <laughs> um, I, I did some I did some like ghost writing for romance novels as a way to make money in college, wow. too. So um, so yeah, your fanfic so your fanfic did pay off. Just let's be clear. Right. So you're you're working on your skills of uh, of romance in when you're 12 years old and then you get paid for it years later. So I'm going to say That's that true. that was worth it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I went from not knowing anything about sex and love or anything like that to, again, being 19 and still not knowing anything about <laughs> sex and love and anything like that, but still writing about it. <laughs> so awful. I'm right. Literally the worst person to write about it, but somehow I still did. Um, and yeah. And so I was writing a lot of prose and, and, um, you know, I, I, I did some improv when I was in college too. So I was just writing like some sketch, like some sketches and stuff like that, but I never really performed or did anything with it okay. until after college. Got in this class. Uh, was there a specific sketch, um, when you started taking your class that you saw performed that really made it click? You're like, Oh, like I could, I think I could write. Uh, do you, do you have a moment like that? No. Because mostly that that workshop, that class that I took with Mood Performing Arts, it was like probably like half of it was my work. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, I, I just I just saw when I just saw myself doing it, when I saw other people doing it, that felt really great. I, it felt like, oh, this could work. And, and, and at the end of this workshop, we, we actually performed it to a live audience um, for two nights. And that was really that was like, wow, like this is this is this is great. Like. You know, people are laughing. Um, people are enjoying this. Um, the performers are enjoying this. I I just thought, you know, I think that maybe that was the moment that it felt like it's some people are resonating with my work. Mm -hmm. And what were did you have an overarching theme in your sketches or in your uh, scenes or or one acts that you wrote? I, I would say like raunchy. It was it was incredibly 
raunchy and raw Asian American women. Um, mm-hmm. So like in, in these sketches, I talked a lot about like suicide and depression and eating disorders because those were things that I, I, I was going through in college and, and it and I was still going through at that time. And, and so, and, and to make comedy out of that, like, how do you, how do you take something that seems very dark, very, um, very serious and, and bring comedy to that. When you started, when did you start taking these classes and when you start kind of getting uh, your writing chops on all that stuff in, in terms of time? Yeah, 2012, 2012, 2013 are two kind of really big formative years for me in terms of um, training, getting my writing together, like taking classes. Um, so, and because I graduated in 2012, uh, 2011, December, 2011. And so, 2012 and 2013 were really like those like decisive years, formative years to get, try to get my shit together as a, <laughs> as an artist. Sure. Uh, and so, uh, fast forwarding a little bit that, so did you end up moving out to LA, uh, to obviously that's where the scene is and where you think your chances are to be most successful? No, actually. So Dear White People was actually filmed in Minnesota, which is the reason why I was only a part of that, um, kind oh, of that movie and, and that experience. That. Yeah. yeah. So, so they came here. And so for when, and they filmed in August, September, 2013. So at that time I was just like, I really want to get into film. I really want to do TV because as much as I love theater, um, I'm a much more visual storyteller. So, and I was just kind of putzing with film and TV on the side with my own personal writings, but it wasn't until like August, September, 2013 is when I was just like, okay, this is, this is an actuality. Like I see, you know, dear white people was such a great set because I see, you know, such talented, um, writers, producer, filmmakers of color, mm-hmm. pr- primarily black filmmakers. And, and this kind of indie level and this kind of grassroots, like we can do this, like, fuck fuck the mainstream we're gonna make our own narratives and to see that that was really great so um i actually didn't like go out to la until the um till the actual like uh now now i'm now i'm in a loss of words what do you call it um the wide wide nationwide release Release, the wide release yeah yeah the wide release and and i didn't and I, because I was just like, I'm going to be in Minnesota because it's just like Sundance is great. Um, and then it wasn't until the wide release where I was just like, okay, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try this LA thing. I'm going to try to, you know, build it, be a part of this community over here. And then ever since then, just kind of going back and forth because Minnesota is still home. I'm still a resident. I still vote there. Like I still do my taxes and all my shit over there. So, um, just trying to, trying to make this work. That's awesome. While being while still being a Minnesotan. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I'm sure you'll find a good Midwest collective of uh, artists down there because I know there's a great uh, Asian American group of folks down there as well. So you got to start like the Minnesota branch of the uh, of the LA film and TV scene. <laughs> yeah, we, we do have a Midwest club here. Like it's funny because we have a bunch of Asian Americans who are also from the Midwest. We're like, oh, where are you from? They're like Michigan. I'm like, all right, good enough. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so we teased this earlier, and this is sort of where, again, how I found out about you for the first time. So uh, your pilot episode of Nice is is currently doing its tours around. Um, what inspired you to to write uh, 
to write nice and and put it all together and then you know start submitting it to to film festivals and such yeah so uh nice is um kind of the show that <laughs> is my love letter to minnesota and what and what it means to be kind of this modern day um, woman of color who lives in the midwest um so nice actually was kind of based upon my own personal experience with with breast cancer and and the people in my life so many people in my life have had breast cancer and and how when i was going through this process how kind of exhausted i was what hearing about cancer how cancer was written how cancer was portrayed and how much it felt to me that like cancer is really not the story um it's really that kind of instigating moment of when your life really changes and it's not really about the illness or the sickness but what what happens to your life after you have it or or when you find out that you have it so um it was it was a show that i previously developed with the studio um from 2015 part of 2015 um, to 2017 and it, it wasn't a good fit so we amicably uh, uh, ended our relationship but so I I realized that you know this is a story that has impacted my life so much and 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 something that I really wanted to talk about about what does it mean to be a nice person what does it mean to be a good person and what does it mean to be a part of this kind of nice culture when people don't perceive you or believe that you are one a part of it or that you that you are either nice or good so um after after kind of developing it in the studio i i realized like this, this is a really important story for me to tell this is you know this is this means so much to me and so I applied for a grant because that's what I do all the time. I apply for so many grants. <laughs> right. um, I applied for a grant and I got it. And that was half of our budget. It was a $25,000 grant from the McKnight Foundation, which is a Minnesota-based um, international foundation that supports so many different ventures. But I won um, a McKnight Fellowship, which essentially is a $25,000 unrestricted fellowship fund. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to make this pilot on my own. I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to, because at the end of the day, um, I wanted to tell the story that I wanted to tell mm -hmm. that I knew I could tell. And, and so I was just like, you know what, like, I'm not going to wait for somebody to say yes, I'm just going to do it. And it was funny because we found out in June that I found out in June, I got the McKnight and a week later, we're already starting pre-production and November, 2017, we start shooting it. We, um, we do, uh, two days in Mi Minneapolis, Minnesota. And then we, in December, first week of December, we did four days in Los Angeles. And then at the end of that month, we had to submit our rough cut to Tribeca <laughs> and <laughs> because we were moving as, that fast. As lightning speed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like, Oh God, we got to make the deadline because we already missed Sundance. Like Sundance, we at like Andrew on my director asked Sundance for an extension. They're like, this is your date. And he's like, we're not going to make it. And I was like, yeah, we're not going to make it. Um, and we missed South by Southwest. So really Tribeca was our last one left to make. And so they gave us an extension, thank God. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then from, and then I think at the 
January 5th, we turned in our rough cut. And then March, we found out, um, February, end of February, we found out that we got in. And then April, we premiered. Man, whirlwind. Uh, <laughs> uh, so what was it like? I mean, seeing and, and something I, I there was an article I think I found through Instagram or something. Uh, the headline was actress Naomi Co wanted to see more stories from the U.S. heartland. Uh, so she made her own. Um, so what was it like when you finally got to see your story uh, that you wanted to tell? I mean, on, on, on screen. It's kind of surreal. Um, because this is the first time that I felt like, wow. Um, this is this is my this is so much of myself is represented on screen on on such a national platform, which, you know, for so many um, Asian Americans who don't live on the West Coast or East Coast, but are from you know Middle America, to see that 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 meant that it just felt made me feel like my experience was even more validated than it already is. You're seeing your work on screen, like screen, like filmmaking is is very is a is sad. Like writing is sad in in of itself, but filmmaking is also kind of sad because, you know, as as someone uh, as a filmmaker who primarily writes. Um, so many of my projects have not seen the light of day because, you know, it costs too much money to make, or you don't have the right resources to do it. And, and to have something that I've worked on for three, three and a half years of my life mm-hmm. to finally see it come to fruition was impactful. Um, and so do you have any other plans to produce more uh, shows, films or anything like that in the near future? Or are you going to oh, obviously focus so- on nice yeah, I mean, I'm I'm currently writing like three different projects right now. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm really excited. Um, thanks to the generosity of my state of Minnesota and its abundant arts funding, um, I'm actually going to be directing uh, like my first short this this winter, nice. which I'm really excited about. Kind of kind of just bring life to more of that um, middle American Asian American perspective but yeah i'm still writing i'm still now now i'm just like uh got one project done now people think i can actually do this thank you for funding all my other work hopefully um (laughs) so so just just yeah working on a whole bunch of different things that's all asian american mostly minnesotan but (laughs) but like you said earlier right i mean you're not you're not american or minnesotan or korean you're both Right. Yeah. And so it reflects in your work and, and the stuff you do. Um, so something that before you, you know, got a couple minutes left here, something that I like loved about your, I guess you, as I was like reading your bio and such, is that you do a ton uh, of work for the Asian American um, community in Minnesota. Uh, and I, I think that's like amazing. And, and personally, on a personal level, I, I think as, the rise of kind of social wokeness and cultural wokeness has been hitting uh, America. I've thought about ways how I can sort of um, help out the Asian American community as well, uh, which kind of landed me on this podcast idea. But you do, um, it looks like you started the Funny Asian Women Collective, also known as FOC, uh, mm-hmm. which is very clever. I mean, you do the APIA Minnesota Film Collective. Uh, it says you mentor young persons of colors and diverse students and all that sort of stuff. So, um, what like inspired you to do these sort of things or actually, first of all, tell me about the different projects you work on. Uh, what inspired you to do these sort of things? And um, do you have any like favorite stories from, from working on these projects with people? 
Yeah, so um, I'll start off with Funny Asian Women Collective Fuck. Um, it's a it's something that I co-created with Mei Liang, who's a Hmong American um, playwright, actress, writer, filmmaker, and then Samukta Vangzeng, who's a Lao American um, playwright, poet, children's author, everything. We're very we're we're very uh, indecisive and multi hyphenated group of artists, um, <laughs> <laughs> and. And really what happened with that is that uh, I was asked to do a a show and the organizer asked me to not swear or talk about sex, which I'm just like, well, then what am I going to do? There's like nothing <laughs> for me to talk about. Right. Yeah. But but I and I did. And I and me and Mooks um, were in the audience and they're like, Neil, you bombed. That was the worst thing I've ever seen from you. And I'm like. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, it was because I wasn't true to myself and I wasn't true to the kind of work I wanted to do. So really, we created Funny Asian Women Collective because we feel like Asian American women um, face a lot of societal and cultural constraints where we have to act in a certain way and that we weren't able to pursue these different, you know, sides of ourselves. So we created this and and, you know, we're been very fortunate to be funded by so many organizations who believe in our work but essentially we have we have a two-part thing we we just teach asian pacific islander women how to clap back at microaggressions using comedy so we like split that up into different workshops and different scenarios can you give me an example of like uh of of a a common clap back that would that you think would work or that that does work yeah i mean so it depends on the situation and it depends on the scenario but let's just say, like, uh, uh, let's say a work, a work, a work microaggression. That's something that people who are listening are most likely yeah. to to hear. So, yeah, you're so articulate is probably one thing that I think a lot of Asian Americans hear. Right. That's a microaggression. You're you're so articulate. You speak English so well. Right. Um, a clapback, a work appropriate clapback would be <laughs> yes, I do. Thank you. I'm from America. I was born and raised here. Like that's kind of hard because like you you have to be professional. Sure, sure. But, but in in a in a in maybe a non-work situation, if someone told me you're so articulate and I said, "Well, yeah, go fuck yourself." Like something <laughs> like does is that articulate enough for you? Like <laughs> Right. <laughs> but um so we do that and then we also host uh comedy cabarets per month um featuring Asian Pacific Islander American women. And we, we fly them out from all over the country um, to perform for our community. And, and really like we use this as a way to like, do you want to learn how to clap back? And two, are you interested in, in being in doing comedy, whatever form of comedy it is, because, you know, accessibility is such an issue and we just, you know, and right. people es- want to do it. Especially so. in the comedy scene. Right. I mean, it, it takes so much work to be, to, to break out in the stand-up as a stand-up comic you have to go to countless open mics it's intimidating it's scary right uh yeah you know there's so many factors so it's cool that you're giving like a like a positive way to to have you know com- comedians brought in it's great and then the apia minnesota film collective is something that i recently just um i, I started um really kind of after nice um kind of 
you know, bringing, bringing nice to Minnesota and working and, and meeting all these Asian, um, Asian Pacific Islander Americans in Minnesota who are like, I want to be a filmmaker. I want to be a filmmaker. And they're like, yeah, I w- we'd love to work on your project because we've never had a project of this kind of caliber that was for Asian Americans by Asian Americans, starring Asian Americans in Minnesota. And I just realized, yeah, I can't, obviously I was like, come on me. Like, you're not the only person who wants to do this. Like you should know better. <laughs> and but but really kind of thinking about this in in a more practical way. Um, while I think, you know, there are so many great Asian American organizations that do this kind of work across the country, I, I kind of wanted to do something that was just a little bit more like, I don't know, a little something that gets your hands a little bit dirtier. So it's a three-year initiative where um, basically it's it's basically a script to to a production process um, where year one is three different screenwriting intensives to get a half hour hour TV narrative and then an, in a feature um, script to like get like to get your shit ready. And then second year is um, I want to bring five to seven out of state productions to Minnesota. So five to seven Asian American projects from all over the country to come to Minnesota and we would help fund those productions. So these filmmakers can have an opportunity to, to train and to learn from, you know, national experts. And then year three, it's basically being like, okay, here's some money, go make your work. (laughs) That's awesome. So it's, um, it's it's new. We've only done one screenwriters intensive. We did it this summer. Um, really great. We brought in really great um, teachers from from LA to come in to Minnesota, and we're going to be doing our feature fe- feature film one this winter. But I mean, I gotta I gotta go raise like five hundred thousand dollars to make year two a reality. So we'll see. We'll see. Knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um... I mean, again, that, that's so cool. You, you're taking the initiative to do that. I think it, it it goes a long way. I'm sure, again, like being in Minnesota, it's far from the film industry, right? And I'm sure there are tons of people who just feel like they can't get it done, right? Um, where if they move to LA yeah. or whatever, it keeps it keeps the, the arts in, um, you know, your area and your city, which I think is, is awesome. And I'm sure people appreciate there. Yeah, Tyler Perry made Atlanta like the powerhouse for, you know, his his black entertainment you know company and and empire essentially so i'm just like why can't i do that saint paul for for the asians and everybody's like why why saint paul i'm like is there another state that has this kind of public arts funding (laughs) that (laughs) i don't know about right uh is prince from your state because i don't think so (laughs) um uh cool so let me see here we got about to wrap up um so what what would be or what has been your words of advice for young um, filmmakers or young Asian American women who are trying to get in uh, an industry that looks like, like you kind of say crazy rotations, like right now it seems like the perfect time to take a chance on something and and do it. Um, What would be your advice for them? Fucking do it. Like fucking do it. Here's the thing. I think as a, as our our community, our broader Asian American community. Um, I think, you know, I think we have our own cultural issues and cultural paradigms that we're battling every day. Right. And, and at the end of the day is you got to fucking do it because, because you don't want, because if you don't even try, how do you know that it didn't happen? Like, 
and I and I think so many people. I mean, I think I think you look at so many different people. You look, you look at someone like Constance Wu, who was this girl who wanted to do musical theater in Richmond, Virginia, and now she is a movie star and starred in one of the the highest grossing romantic comedies of the decade. Six, sixth, but, sixth highest of all time as of right now, I believe. When I looked earlier today, crazy. Holy shit! Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So <laughs> if 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 that girl in Virginia didn't take a chance and she would have never, she would have never, it would have never happened. Like I'm, I'm a girl from Rosemount, Minnesota who thought that being an academic for Islamic art and architecture was going to be the most groundbreaking thing I ever did. Well, no, I, I, it, it, it hasn't. <laughs> and if I never took that chance, I would have never known. I would have never known what I would be capable of. I mean, like if you don't do it, you're never going to, if you don't even try, then, then one's there to do. I mean, that's very basic, but no, I mean, but it, I it's like- it's true. I mean, most people wouldn't take the shot. And like a theme, as I'm, I think, you know, about eight or nine episodes into this podcast, and uh, a theme that I've been kind of thinking about themes of the whole, like everyone I've interviewed, and it, almost everyone, they, it's about them just doing it on their own and just like taking the chance to do it. So, uh, you know, it it it, it sounds basic but it is true and is definitely like somebody that kind of goes throughout the stories that I've been hearing. And, you know, I think it's it's good. But I I think, I think the also thing, the also the other thing that someone has like someone who's Asian American, who, who is interested in this kind of arts and entertainment world is to also consider is that, you know, I, I want you to do it, please do it. But then also please learn a little bit about it. Um, um, please, please do some training. <laughs> please do some classes. Like, right. Because I think, I think that's another thing. Um, I think that's another thing that, that we, we have to think about. And, you know, I, you know, we're not, we're not just going to get cast because we're, you know, Asian Americans are hot right now. Right. They want our stories or they want, they want faces like ours. We also have to be kind of good because I mean, let, let, let's be good too. Like, yeah. I mean, we can be shitty, but we can also be good too. You know, we, we can have the full spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's great. And I feel like that's not a perspective that's actually talked a lot about, right? Like, um, I, you know, I, I have, there's some things where people say, well, why don't we, why didn't this person get cast in this role? And this isn't just necessarily for like Asian Americans or anything like that. But I feel like, um, you know, in an age where people want diverse casts, uh, in their shows, in in their movies, in their musicals, or whatever. Um, let's make sure that the people involved in it are like deserving of these parts, so we don't have any complaints, right? Of people saying, "Oh, like they were just cast because they needed like an Asian girl." It's like, no, she was cast because uh, as Killing Eve because she was awesome, right? And she got a nomination yeah. for it. Um, and I feel like that's like a, that is a key part that uh, should be discussed more. I think I agree with that. Yeah, and and. I mean, I think I think we're we're in a forgiving we're sort of in a forgiving age right now where we don't necessarily have to be that refined. But I think, you know, it's going to become less forgiving. It already has become a little less forgiving. Right. In that sense that, um, you know, there has been a backfire for people who have done well for themselves in their particular field. But when they try to cross over to more serious, you know, not I, I shouldn't say serious roles, but more, I guess, narrative based roles it, it kind of backfired on them because they were like i'm not i don't necessarily have the tools to equip me to do a to do a production or to do a project where i have to memorize nine pages in in three hours like <laughs> right that that's that's not talent that's training 
that that's like when training comes in and you don't want to lose a role because you don't you don't know how to memorize quickly like that's that's dumb <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah that's dumb yeah. very good advice uh so naomi where can people find you uh online and keep up with nice and all the projects you're working on and such yeah, so you can follow me on social media, either on Twitter or Instagram or both um, at Co Naomi, Naomi with an E at the end. So it's my last name, first name, and an E at the end. Um, that's where you can find me or my website, which I update once every four months, coneomi.com. <laughs> that's all. Well, you that's how I got a hold of there. you. So she does check it. So if people are interested, that's how I got a hold of her. So it's possible. <laughs> Well, you, it, it, the email went to me. I checked my email like 50 times oh. a minute. So like, <laughs> so like, <laughs> I'm like, or also my email, info at koneomi.com. Go ahead, email me. I will check my email. Perfect. <laughs> there it is. All right. Well, uh, Naomi, thank you so much for, for hanging out with me. Um, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting a chance to see uh, Nice or seeing, uh, seeing it on my TV or Netflix or wherever it lands in your future and I'll keep up with your short films on all the stuff as well. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ian.